Ideological attacks on banks. What are the trends that we're seeing and what lessons can we learn? Hi, this is Tom Field, a Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. It's my pleasure today to be talking with Carl Herberger. He's Vice President of Security Solutions with Radware. Carl, thanks so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Tom. Thank you for having me. Carl, let's jump right into the topic here, ideological attacks on banks. What are the new types of attacks that you've been seeing against institutions? The attacks on the banks, especially the U.S. commercial banks, have been so heady that they really taught, I think, most of the security industry some lessons. In the world of denial of service attacks, they have really parlayed themselves from what we used to call volume-based attacks or attacks that uh, what most people think of when they think of denial of service, to very sophisticated, often non-volume-based attacks. Uh, so what these perpetrators have been doing, have been uh, been able to get around most of the protection sets uh, that we use in the assumptions of what an attack looks like. They use this through either automated uh, tools, which we frequently call bots. They do this through encrypted means. They actually encrypt their attacks which really obfuscates most of the attacks through modern-day security measures. And they use what they call directed attacks. Directed attacks are essentially a fancy way of saying they use known vulnerabilities to be able to leverage them in a new way. So it's sort of taking something old and making it new again. So this would be like taking a simple malware or corrosion or maybe a problem that you have with your website and being able to leverage that problem to, to cause a disruption or an outage. So there's four basic ways in which they're they're combining, and they're combining all these these attacks at the same time, which has a has a, also an effect. These uh, combining, which we call multi-vector attacks, they're combining these attacks so that you have to be able to detect all of them at the same time. So these attacks have traditionally the volume that we mentioned, the non-volume. Uh, the non-volume includes things like directed, things like encrypted. And, and uh, other attacks that are more focused on bots and automation of attacks. Kyle, let's talk about the actors behind the attacks as well, because my understanding is that the motivations there are shifting. What can you tell us about the motivations behind the actors? Yeah, this is one of the most uh, interesting pieces, Tom, of, uh, of the whole last two years of uh, in information security. Having spent uh, a lifetime in information security, I can tell you that by and large, the motivations haven't changed over the last couple of decades. They were either financially motivated, and there's a whole bunch of categories under financial motivation to include competitive motivations, to include uh, economic uh, espionage motivations, and so forth. But there's been one primary motive we've been working towards, financial motive, or something that's akin to vandalism, things that what we call opportunistic motivation. I happen to have a tool and you happen to have a vulnerability and you just happen to be in my uh, visibility as I'm perpetrating a tool. But in the last few years, it's been this rise of a brand new motivation, which is being known as an ideological-based attack or what has become known as hacktivism. This is a notion that I'm attacking you for other than financial motives, for other than vandalistic or opportunistic reasons. I'm attacking you for a purpose for what you believe or you don't believe, for what you say or what you don't say, for what you promote or what you don't promote. It's essentially an age-old human attack motive 
that's now spilled on over into techniques and capabilities on the information security or information internet space. This ideological-based motive has uh, caused a lot of problems in that most modern-day information security programs have not properly measured the risk in their environment, so there's whole new industries that have found themselves not prepared for an attack, whereas they didn't have too much risk for vandalism or for opportunistic attacks or for financial motive, but today find themselves as perpetrators, uh, victims, number one. These are industries like oil and gas. These are industries like governments. Uh, these are industries where people promote themselves uh, in an ideological way, things like uh, if you think about non-government organizations. Uh, these are causal organizations. These companies and organizations have found themselves overnight being attacked. So, Carl, it's been nearly a year now since we started seeing a, a real swing toward the ideological attacks on banks. As we're approaching that one year, how do you see the attacks morphing? Yeah, it's different, right, Tom? The, um, <clears throat> the attacks have been uh, also different themselves uh, based upon the motive. In a financial-oriented attack, what you are hoping to achieve is to gain some sort of personal financial gain. And often you're trying to do this in a way that obfuscates yourself. So what you're attempting to do is, if you will, steal money and get away with it. In an ideological-based attack, what you're trying to do is exert your will your influence, your power on another organization so that they succumb to your will. And these attacks almost have an opposite requirement. They have to be, as opposed to being obfuscated in a financial attack, they have to be loud. They have to be known. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, these attacks also have to be pronounced, which is a very different attribute for an information security professional today. So in other words, in a financial attack, they're never pre-announced. Their whole goal is to be obfuscated. In an ideological-based attack, what you're attempting to do is file your grievance ahead of time. What you're attempting to do is even before you attack is exert your will. Just by the threat of attack that you can suggest change. There's been many examples of this. For example, uh, the companies that have supported the, uh, the SOPA law in the U.S. Uh, initially started getting attacks, which actually caused many companies before they got attacked to change their stance uh, on the SOPA law. So, so these, these, these new attacks are loud, they're pre-announced, essentially your grievances are filed ahead of time. Uh, there's frequently a, a notion of or, or else, if you don't do this, we're going to do something. And that or else frequently means an, a, an information security attack. Those attacks then will last a long time, which is also very different than the other kinds of attacks. You can today, according to Radware, assure that if you're under an attack, it's going to last 20 days, almost three weeks. That's the average duration that when a perpetrator has filed a grievance against you and begins the process of attacking you, and if they're not effective, or if they're just somewhat effective, they will continue for 20 days, and they'll exert seven attack vectors on you. These are all very different. The uh, Being able to detect the amount of the attacks, being able to uh, 
to deal with the publicity of the attacks, to be able to deal with the timing or the persistency of the attacks, have changed the game immeasurably. So the U.S. banking sector is coming under an attack called Operation Abbeville, and it is an ideological-based attack, whereas the perpetrators are suggesting that the root of all evil is commerce, and the top 20 U.S. commercial banks uh, represent uh, fundamentally commerce, and they would like them to be essentially down, no longer operational. And these attacks started on September 18th of 2012, and they continue to this day. And that represents the largest industrial sector attack in the U.S., in fact, around the world, and the longest information security attack that's ever been recorded. Well, Carl, that's great context. Let's talk about incident response now. For better or for worse, how have the banks responded to the sustained attack? Yeah, so incident response really has changed to, first of all, the, the notion of an ideological based attack being proactive, um, filing a grievance ahead of you. So in other words, they, the perpetrators, with almost no exception, will indicate that you are either specifically or more generically going to be the target of an attack. So they'll do this by either naming you in that grievance or naming you as part of an industry or naming you as part of an affiliation. Uh, so some some specific examples are is there's been an attack against Sony, and there was prior to the attack there was this operation called Operation Sony, which had its grievance. Uh, there have been attacks on oil companies, and before that there was more generically an announcement against an oil company uh, against Operation. They call it Petro or Operation Oil Sands. There's been operations that have been affiliated with the industry that you you are potentially a target. So as an information security professional, being able to detect and be able to neutralize these attacks, it really starts with first being able to detect that you've been put under uh, or essentially there's been a filed grievance against you. This has been a big change for information security professionals who are used to only detecting a technical attack but not being able to detect or essentially have an intelligence or research function to be able to detect that they're actually uh, have been put on notice, that that's, they have aggrieved somebody. So you can start your information security, essentially, defense right then and there. There's now new means, new motives to be able to start, essentially, neutralizing the attack uh, before it actually materializes as an attack in your environment. This is also very new. So this is the notion that perhaps you can begin to sway the grievance. You can begin to have a dialogue with uh, the people who file, who file the grievances. In addition, frequently, when there is a group that is going to attack you, it comes in two forms. One is a volunteer that's soliciting to attack you, or it seems to be more state-sponsored, where it's either state or, or transnational, in that there's a group out there that self-contains not soliciting uh, independent to attack. If you have an attack that's more volunteer-based, you'll know the tools that are going to be perpetrated against you. And uh, in this situation, you can actually detect the tools ahead of time. So if you, if you have proper technology in place, you can see in your environment, as soon as these tools materialize, it would be like in the old Star Trek days when you're watching a movie, 
you'd be able to see, if you will, the Klingon fighters showing your screen before they actually start firing upon you. This proactive neutralizing of these tools before they begin the process of actually attacking you is new too. So you can actually proactively begin to sway opinion of the attackers. You can begin to neutralize tools before they start attacking you. And of course, as you start getting attacks, you'll have to have a coordinated set of detection and mitigation technologies that are able to handle, if you will, both respond quickly and handle the, the sheer size, scope of the attack. So tell me, how do these tools and this approach change how institutions should practice incident response going forward against these ideological attacks? Yeah, the uh, the old paradigms were I, I would wait for an attack to attack me or an attacker. I would find that attack and then I neutralize that attack, and uh, then I would I would cause retribution for the attacker. The old paradigm was really financially motivated attacks, and it really had a focus on the fact that I'd wait until there was an attack that happened to me, and that the attack had any assumption that it would be maybe sophisticated, but there'd be a single vector, maybe two vectors that was used. Uh, there was also an assumption that the attack would not last for that long, so you could you had the you had the benefit of being able to do a tremendous amount of forensics and a tremendous amount of essentially after-action analysis. Going forward, that changes, and that's changed already. So that you have to think not in terms of the old paradigms, but in terms of new paradigms, that the attacks are going to be large in scope and in scale, and that they're going to be persistent. So you're not going to have the benefit of being able to do forensics with nothing else going on. In fact, they're going to be obfuscated, so you're not going to have a hard ability to determine exactly who was doing this to you because of the advanced abilities to encrypt and to, to spoof uh, sources and content. Another piece uh, that's changing dramatically is there's really not regulations around this today. There are very few countries in the world that actually have regulations against DDoS. See, DDoS to one is application testing to another. One person might view it as a cyber attack, and another person might suggest that it was a malfunctioning application. There's not really strong laws, and there's not really strong adjudication that's occurred in the past in these areas. In most Western countries, there's some nominal kinds of laws that are being used to bring people to justice. But mostly the rest of the world, in fact, most of South, uh, for example, America, has absolutely silent loss to this. So, so as we go forward, one of the paradigms in our heads as information security professionals is that we'll be able to actually adjudicate or actually bring perpetrators to justice. And this, in this situation, is just not the case. A, in many cases, the perpetrators may be, may even be state actors or uh, transnational threats, like let's call them affiliations with uh, groups that are either terroristic or uh, maybe mob-like, cartel-like. And then the third piece of it is, is that even if you have strong laws or you get to the point where uh, you might be able to have good visibility who did this, 
actually bringing those perpetrators to justice if they're in domiciles that are not friendly to your country will be very, very difficult. So the whole paradigm of the regulatory nature of things have changed. So this leaves the information security professional with, uh, the, with the unenviable position of having to basically just defend themselves, having to have to put their own resources to be able to deal with the, with the situation. They can't rely on uh, too many other entities outside of their own resources. Well, Carl, the final question for you. As you look ahead to the following months, the next year, what lessons would you say we have learned from these ideological attacks, and what can we expect to see going forward? You know, the ideological-based attacks have taught even the biggest companies that that their assumptions in their risk profile and their deployed security uh, tools haven't been enough. I mean, it's clear that the ideological-based attacks have disrupted some of the world's most handsome uh, security programs and some of the most resourced security programs and have brought them to their knees. So uh, I think that they have, have taught us all lessons of how to uh, properly uh, adjust to this new risk profile. In addition, as we move forward, there are really ominous signs, clouds, uh, in terms of what we can expect as these attacks materialize themselves in the future. One is we're on the dawn of a massive change in uh, both critical infrastructure. Uh, critical infrastructure is changing in that we are outsourcing most and much of the way in which we get business done. So it's no longer an information security professional's technical capabilities to be able to lock down their environment. Their environment will be extended beyond their technical controls. The second is the mobile, what they call the BYOD problem, bring your own device, the mobile device explosion, which will be unmanaged, will also assist these attackers as they will be able to leverage more and more devices to be able to perpetrate attacks. This mobile problem is not just tablets and phones, but in the future will be Cars will be wearable mobile devices, kind of like the Google Glasses and the other, other, other devices that are actually being rolled out right now. But it'll also be any IP-enabled device. It can be a refrigerator or a treadmill that can be leveraged in an attack going forward, which is pretty ominous. And then there's another major trend, and the trend is a transformative, a disruptive trend on the uh, networking side of the house, what's being called software-defined networking, which is a fancy way of saying virtualizing of the control plane of the network devices. This trend is really gaining a tremendous amount of following in mass. This trend is an open trend. It's a trend to be able to essentially write applications to networking devices in an open way which is using a protocol called OpenFlow. And uh, this open trend on networking devices, although very, very attractive for cost savings, very, very attractive for features, uh, networking features, uh, traffic features, will be actually a flow to security. It will be represent another major vector that can be violated in the future. Well, Carl, I very much appreciate your time and your insights today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate the time. The topic has been ideological attacks on banks. 
I've been talking with Carl Herberger. He's Vice President of Security Solutions with Radware. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.